Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dine with Amy Irvine. Today's guests are Sarah Holden and Tina Kilroy. They come from the ICI, which is Investment Company Institute, and they are repeat guests. And today we're talking about something that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's Generation X. As a Generation Xer myself, I find that many people are struggling being the monkey in the middle or the sandwich generation. And we explore all sorts of areas of life's roadmaps and some of the challenges and ideas that Generation Xers actually can put together for themselves. We enjoyed this conversation as a follow-up to the original conversation that Sarah and Tina and I had not too long ago. If you'd like to learn more about these two delightful women, you can go to their LinkedIn page. It's Christina Kilroy, and she is the Vice President of ICI Education Foundation. And then also Sarah Holden. She is the Senior Director, Retirement and Investor Research at the Investment Company Institute. And she's an economist, which of course, I've got to say is pretty darn cool. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this show. As always, it's our goal every week to share a story of someone's journey through their life and their financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. We hope you enjoy this show as you sit on back with your favorite beverage. And as mentioned at the very end, it's champagne and some great Gen X conversation. Well, Sarah and Tina, welcome back to Wine and Dine. We are just thrilled to have you guys back once again, because this time, as much as I loved our conversation the first time, This time, it's actually about something, I guess you would call a passion project of mine. We talked just a little bit about it uh, in the last show that we did together, but I have deemed the X generation, my generation, sort of the forgotten generation. And we're in the middle of this great big baby boomer and this great big millennial And we're sort of like the middle child of those two generations. And you hear people writing about both the baby boomer and millennial. But I guess I'm going to sound a little childish when I say, what about us? 
you know, and, and I would say, I would argue that we're slightly different than, um, you know, those two big generations. So you ladies have decided, um, graciously to come back and spend time with me again, to talk about Gen X and to share some thoughts around that, some strategies around some education around being in that generation and um, some statistics around that as well. So I'm very, very, very excited. Um, Sarah, you actually put together some life path for Gen X. Can you walk through that just a little bit? And we are actually going to have these slides that she's talking about in the show notes for people to be looking looking at. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that, Amy. I I think... uh, First, we should just uh, define who Gen X is because they are indeed forgotten a lot of the time because they are kind of sandwiched in between uh, the baby boom generation and the millennials who seem to get all the press. (laughs) Uh, So uh, Gen X, there's uh, 34.5 million Gen X households out there. Uh, So they're a bit bigger than the millennial uh, generation, uh, but smaller than the baby boom generation. Uh, They were born between 1965 and 1980. So at this point, Gen X, they're in their 40s and early 50s. And pulled some data from actually Fidelity put this together, looking at how life paths are changing. And as life paths are changing, the milestones that, you know, people pass happen at different times. And that kind of changes the whole financial planning uh, sort of perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gen X, it turns out um, the first big life first you have is sort of getting your real job. So your first real job. Um, baby boomers got their first real job on average at age 21. Uh, for Gen X, it's age 22. So that's a year later. Uh, millennials, it's age 23. So a year later. Uh, so we see the sort of first of your first real job happening at a, at a later age uh, for the Gen X compared to the baby boom. Another big first uh, would be getting married. And actually starting with Gen X, there's more couples living together. Uh, mm-hmm. So the average uh, age for marriage for Gen X is 28 years old rather than 24 years old for a baby boomer. So they're uh, getting married at a later age uh, than the generation before them. And then they're also having you know children, starting having children at a bit later age as well. And then they're making their home purchase at a later age as well. So on average, Gen X... Uh, bought their first home at age 30, uh, while uh, baby boomers were in their home by age 28. Um, So I think all these things really show that there's been a little bit of a a shift outward in uh, taking those first uh, steps uh, Mm -hmm. in, you know, sort of the life cycle of getting that first job, uh, making that family, getting that home. And then when we look at their um, household savings goals, we see this as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to me um, seeing the average age that women started having children, or fa- you know, Gen X started having children was 28. What stood out to me when I was reviewing the chart that you had put together is that fewer than half of millennials are having children by age 29. So it's definitely um, the trend continues to sort of be a bit longer out. Um, 
for each generation, but you do, you do see a big jump between uh, that baby boomer generation, Gen X and, and millennials and in the production of the next generation. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all flushes out uh, a bit. And then, you know, the primary savings goals, as you mentioned, um, as far as by, by generation, there were some interesting tidbits of information that, that go along with that. But before we go into that, um, that also, well, let's talk about that first. Let's talk about the primary saving goals. So when you look at millennial, Gen X, baby boomers, and what what all groups are saving for at various times of their lives, your statistics are showing that about 42% are saving for retirement that are in the baby boomer generation but only 15% in millennial and 31% in Gen X. Yeah. So but that, yet, but yet we're older. I mean, that Gen X is older, right? I mean, we're getting older. <laughs> yeah. So I think what um, the chart sort of highlights for me is there's a life cycle to saving. So when you're younger, you tend to be more focused on saving for education, saving for the home or other large purchases, because you're at that earlier point of sort of, building a family. Um, and then as we get older, the focus shifts to retirement. And so that's why, as you noted, our baby boom are much more likely to say that retirement is their primary savings goals. Now, many people, households are saving for multiple things at once. This chart is if they were you know, asked, what really is your primary focus now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Primary focus shifts to retirement the older the household is. And I think what uh, this chart highlights in terms of Gen X is they're sort of in the middle of it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're sandwiched between the baby boom and the millennials. And then in terms of where they are in their life path, they're at a point kind of where they're still working on, uh, you know, the saving for education or home home or big purchases. So 26% of Gen X households say that's their primary savings goal. Mm -hmm. And then we've got 31% of them who are able to say, well, actually, I've now shifted so that retirement is my primary savings goal. And but you see that they're really between the two generations in terms of where they sit with those goals. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having sort of the younger end of them still working on that education or home while the older end of them focus more on the retirement uh, question. And and so that's why the liquidity is so much higher, though, with that baby boom or that millennial generation, I'm assuming, is because they're trying to save for those, um, the home purchases, which are, you know, larger down payments, or I'm guessing that's one of the reasons why liquidity is, is a bit higher. Yeah, so liquidity has to do with saving for an emergency. Mm-hmm. It's a rainy day fund. And mm-hmm. um, I think, and it's, pretty high across all of them, actually. So it's sort of a third of the baby boom and a third of Gen X are indicating that their primary concern is actually, do I have enough in an emergency fund so that, you know, if the car breaks down or the washer breaks down or I have to, you know, replace the stove or the roof on the house. um, So their, their 
um, worried about some emergency happening to them. The saving for a home down payment on a home would be in the education home or large purchase mm-hmm. category there. Um, and, you know, 34% of millennials say that they're doing that because they are still younger and they still haven't gotten to, we see in the prior chart that they, mm-hmm. you know, haven't gotten to buying that house. Mm-hmm. They're saving for that house. Um, they're putting off, uh, these younger generations are putting off some of these milestones because they're actually still in school. Uh, so the education of our workforce has been going up over time. And these generations are highly educated generations. And so mm-hmm. part of what's pushing off these other like moments is the fact that they're still in school and still getting an education. And so I think that uh, you can see uh, the, you know, trying to do all of this, the Gen X still trying to sort of juggle it all. Well, that's a good point, right? Because they are still in the middle. And I think one of the, what got us on this topic before was the fact that many uh, in the Gen X uh, um, category are, they are trying to put their children through college the best that they can. They're trying to save for retirement. They're, many still have student loan debts themselves. Um, they're trying to help um, their parents. So they're, there is a bit of a sandwich going on there and there's a lot of competing goals. And I know Tina, one of the things that you had mentioned before in our conversation um, was some of, you know, the things to consider around education around the secure act provision, right. And 529 plans and student debt. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I mean, for Gen X folks who are focused on education savings for their children, 529 plans are definitely an option that's worth taking a, a hard look at for a couple of reasons. Um, one of the advantages of the 529 savings plan is that the, the earnings grow tax-free. And then when you take the money out of the plan for qualified expenses like tuition or room and board, you don't have to pay federal tax. And in most cases, you don't have to pay state tax. Um, and if you participate in your state plan, of course, you may be able to deduct the money that you contribute from your state taxes too. So mm-hmm. those are those haven't changed about the 529 plan. But one thing that has changed recently with the SECURE Act, um, which became law at the end of December, there's a provision that might be especially interesting for those families saving for college or for those um, with student loan debt. And actually, 30% of Gen X households still have student loan debt on their balance sheet, their household balance sheet. So it's definitely a factor for them still. Mm -hmm. Um, And the provision in the SECURE Act allows for student loans to be repaid with distributions from a 529 plan Mm -hmm. Mm tax-free. So, Which is a huge, huge, huge change. Yeah. I was shocked that that got put in, that, that, that provision got put in. Um, it's always been one thing that, um, a lot of people have gotten frustrated about is that student loan, that the 529 money was not eligible for student loans. And I know there's some states that haven't fully gotten on board, just like they haven't gotten on board for the whole 529 for under, for, um, non, for primary school as well. Um, but as a general rule, this is something that is a, a lot of interest to, uh, that generation because they grandparents that are in the baby boomer generation may have been saving or and like in our case, aunts and uncles may have been saving well-meaning for their education. But if, if the student uses it and it 
not coming from the parent, then it ends up harming them because they have to count it as untaxed income and it can actually reduce their, um, their financial aid in some situations. So, so this provision allows, um, allows that situation, a planning opportunity for that situation because a portion could be saved to pay for student loans, which I think is delightful. And, and, and that, again, would help that generation with some of those competing goals that exist. When we talk about competing goals for a lot of people and um, we talk about that, we talk around the, the conversation of IRAs and 401ks and Roth IRAs and deferred comp, all of those 403B. Why don't we throw a few other acronyms out there that can confuse people? Um, there are some good sources that are available on your website that can, that can give some education around what that terminology is so that people can become more educated about those topics. Because as you mentioned in in the primary savings goals by generation, the X generation does have some catching up to do. Uh, we don't have pensions. Uh, it's very rare for us to have pensions now. If we do, often it's a cash balance plan. So it's not the traditional career average pensions. So we are going to have to save more. But what I have found in probably you guys as well, maybe you could talk about this a little bit is that it's not that people aren't willing to save, it's that they honestly don't know how. When we look at the data on, you know, for the Gen X and saving for retirement, um, when we look at their, you know, primary uh, savings goals, it's about three in 10 of them say that retirement is my primary savings goal. And when we look at their balance sheets, about six in 10 of Gen X households have either defined contribution plan accounts or IRAs, so have indeed found their way to take advantage of those vehicles. And I think this is where, uh, you know, the retirement plan at work is so key in helping people, you know, take those first steps. And so whether it's the 401k in the private sector, or if you're at a school or a hospital or an educational facility, you could have maybe the 403B, which is, is the same idea as the 401k. It's just a different section of the tax code um, because of where you work. In any of those cases, um, it's really key to uh, take advantage of the plan. And, and plan design has actually changed over time to make that even easier. I, we talked last time about you know automatic enrollment automatically uh, puts somebody in the plan and typically invests them in a target date fund. Um, but I would still encourage folks to check where it was they ended up at what contribution rate and, you know, are they taking full advantage of the uh, employer money uh, to be sure that they uh, can fully take advantage of it. And then in terms of the IRA, um, lots of ways to go with that and um, resources to help folks uh, understand what their choices are. Now, as an organization who is about education and research, a ton of research, the Investment Company Institute, I see, uh, what would you recommend and where, where would be some good resources? I know we mentioned this last time, but I want to make sure that people understand it. Where would be some good resources that people could go to on your website that they could learn a little bit more about terminology and, and some of the research that you've done? 
I think a good place to start on the ICI website, which is ICI.org, is to look at our resource centers and FAQs mm-hmm. on, on retirement and 401ks. Our retirement resource center will explain sort of how workers are using their plans, how they're portable and how they are rolling them over to IRAs, sort of Sarah's research on retirement and how it's actually being used. Um, mm-hmm. I'd also recommend checking out our blog. Um, we have a lot of different sort of pieces on there that look at, you know, what Sarah's seeing in her data come up, um, more sort of recommend, like, um, personal finance type pieces, mm-hmm. the foundation. So it's a good mix of content on there that I think people can find really helpful. And I know you've even done some, you've published a couple of different um, fact books. I know there's one out there that I looked at pretty closely, the 2019 um, fact book that's out there that, that, that has a ton of data out there. There's a bunch of information around IRAs and the role of IRAs. And I found that particularly interesting um, because I think when people think about IRAs and, and competing goals, they sometimes bucket it like an IRA isn't it's for retirement. And that that's true. Like that's a purpose for it. Right. But there, if they, if they think more globally about how an IRA might fit in to help them with their other competing goals, um, then they might be more apt to utilize it. And the same is true with 529 plans now, um, now that you can use it for trade schools, uh, a lot more people are going to, I think, be interested in it because I know, you know, some of my clients are like, yeah, I just don't know that my son or daughter is going to go to a traditional college. Um, that's huge. Or even a, a, um, to use it for like a, a, not a journeyman, but a, um, what's the terminology that I'm trying to use for 529s where you can, get experience and get knowledge and it's sort of like an internship, but that's not the, the term that they used. In yeah. Something like hands. an apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. You can tell it's Friday and I would really <laughs> love to have a glass of wine in my hand right about now. <laughs> I should have <laughs> told us all to pop a cork. <laughs> um, but it's very interesting to me to have to read stuff like that and to have people read this kind of information because it broadens their horizons around thinking about different ways that, that the role of the IRAs can be used or defined contributions can be used in a household. And I think people like to sort of benchmark where they are in their lives. And I think a lot of Sarah's research can sort of help you do that. Like, where do I fall among my mm-hmm. people? And mm-hmm. am I, people want to know, like, am I doing okay? How am I doing? So, or, or am I not? Help me. Yeah. <laughs> or what do I need to do to, you know, get myself back on track? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you think, met- I would highlight we recently had a blog. Uh, I'm an economist, and normally people don't ask economists for any kind of romantic advice, you know. Um, but uh, each Valentine's Day, I do a blog that talks about uh, spousal IRAs. Because so few people are aware of this, and it really mm-hmm. is a remarkable uh, opportunity. Uh, so, if you're married filing joint and uh, you've got a stay-at-home spouse, 
the working spouse's earnings can be used to fund an IRA for that non-working spouse. And I just think that's a wonderful Valentine's Day present or really a present anytime uh, because it, it's an opportunity for um, an IRA to be earmarked and in the name of uh, that non-working spouse uh, riding on the coattails of the working spouse's earnings. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, an opportunity to talk about different buckets, uh, that's sort of another bucket available that people might not think about um, because the you know you need earnings to contribute to an IRA um, and the spouse that's not working doesn't have earnings, but it turns out they can actually use the earnings of the working spouse. And the other good news on um, Valentine's Day wasn't the deadline for doing this. We just highlighted it because of Valentine's <laughs> Day. Um, as you know, you know, you have until April 15th to make an IRA contribution and have it count as having occurred last year. Uh, so that's another opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, um, when I first got into this profession, I take a deep breath when I say that because um, it seems like it was a long time ago. And um, the uh, contribution amount that you could put away for a spousal IRA was less mm. than what you could put away for the working IRA, um, spouse or the working side of the couple. And now it's equivalent. As long as the income is there, now it's an equivalent amount. And that, that's been another... Uh, I've been surprised that a few people didn't know that that was the case at this point in time. People in my generation didn't realize that they could do exactly what you're saying. And you're right. It's a great gift to give a spouse. And as a, I, I, I really would love to know what, as an economist, um, what you think about <laughs> the, the, the generation as a whole and how we think about money, um, you know, how it's affected some of the spending and, and savings uh, that, that are out there. Well, I think when we look at a, a shift that has definitely happened over time, and I even know it personally, I, back when I was, you know, in, in college and school, I didn't even know what a 401k plan was, to tell you the truth. And now it's really part of common parlance that Mm -hmm. people talk about 401ks all the time. And we uh, know that these younger generations have been introduced to them at a younger age and have started saving for retirement as a result um, because of these these plans. Among the millennials, uh, we know a lot of them are looking at Roth IRAs, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a vehicle that didn't exist way back when, Mm -hmm. um, but offers you the opportunity to put in an after-tax contribution that grows tax-free, you follow all the rules, you take it out um, tax-free. And so if you're young um, and you're in a lower income tax bracket now, so that, you know, that deduction might not mean as much to you and you anticipate as you go through your career and you get better jobs and more education, but, you know, your probably tax rate's going to go up over time. A lot of younger households have figured out that the Roth is really the thing that makes sense for them. Uh, so I think in terms of patterns of saving, a really much more awareness now than in the past uh, on the different ways to save, the need to save for retirement, and then also this possibility of taking advantage of a Roth option uh, is out there as well. You know, you put together a, a great 
uh, household balance sheet by uh, generation. And you broke it down by defined benefit plans, as you mentioned earlier, as your IRA, and then um, defined contribution plan or IRA, and then home ownership, mortgage, and student loan debt. I wasn't surprised to see the millennial generation having a very large portion, but it looked like the millennial generation still had a pretty good, you know, portion of student loan debt at, at 30, 30% of households. And when you think about who makes up, you said 1965 to 1980, um, if they've had a college now for a number of years and are still carrying student loan debt, that's a pretty high percentage. If you look yeah. at the last generation, mm-hmm. yeah. When you so when you look at that, the the pattern it it has the age pattern you would expect. So the millennials, a higher percentage of millennial households have student mm-hmm. debt. So forty five percent of the millennial households do. Only eleven mm-hmm. percent of the baby boom still has student debt. But when you look at Gen X, it is a good chunk of them. It's thirty percent of them still have student debt, and I think it's, we're just seeing how they are still at that you know sandwiched in between uh, that later goal of I like to be really focusing on retirement. Um, I'm out of school, but I am indeed still paying off that student debt. And this is why, um, you know, the the change to the 529 rules may be able to help them um, mm-hmm. as well. And then when we look at home ownership, uh, we see the typical pattern uh, by age as well is that the, the younger generations um, are less likely to have uh, purchased a home compared to the older generations. And among Gen X, you've got 63% um, own their homes. Uh, many of them do have a mortgage on that home. So mm-hmm. overall, more than half of Gen X households do have mortgage debt. And, uh, you know, so this, again, is is they are really at the sort of middle part of the shifting over uh, the focus from this, the education and the home towards the retirement with a lot of them still having uh, sort of feet in both camps, possibly. Yeah, I guess I just, I was surprised. I shouldn't be because I'm seeing it within my client base where you know some of the parents are sending their kids off to college and they still have student loan debt themselves. But when you think about the youngest of the X generation, so those that were born in 1980, they would have been out of college somewhere around 2002, 2003. So you're talking 17 years later right. that you know, that they're still carrying student loan debt. And so, you know, it's, I didn't realize, and it was such a high number, although, like I said, I probably should have just from this, I've never sat down and kept statistically how many of our clients have student loan debt in that age range, which is a fair number of people that I work with, but some of them also have plus loans on top of that. So I don't know if that's where maybe some of that 30% is coming from that it's not even their loans. Maybe it's, you know, their loans for their children to go to college. It's a plus loan. Yeah. Cause this is at the household level. So I think that's yeah. possible that they are um, talking about, uh, you know, their older children. And I mean, it's just so important to have, you know, a college education as a baseline um, now uh, that we see these later generations, these younger generations, um, you know, getting that uh, full additional education, but there's the cost that comes with it. Um, the other sort of, in, in, so in terms of stresses on on the Gen X, we've got, you know, they're trying to get their home, pay down the mortgage. We still have three in 10 of them paying, you know, some kind of student loan debt off. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, 
they're also actually often providing support. You know, they've got their kids are growing up and moving on, but they now have older parents in many cases. Mm-hmm. They're having mm-hmm. to help. Um, so the Federal Reserve Board uh, does a survey. Um, it's called the Survey of Household Economics and Decision Making. And um, in that survey, they ask um, adults uh, what, you know, whether they're receiving financial res- support or giving someone financial support outside their home. And they cut it by age. So it's not exactly um, Gen X, but um, about a fifth of adults who are 45 to 59 say they are providing financial support to someone living outside their home. And also just not reflected in that statistic, that's financial support. Um, There's a whole other set of research looking at caregiving. Uh, Transamerica did a big survey of caregivers to kind of get a sense of, you know, who who are these folks? Are they doing it voluntarily? Um, What age are they? And it's about a fifth of caregivers are Gen X. So we've got um, a generation who is still working on their own sort of early goals of housing and education. They've got their own kids to, to take, think about. And then we also find that they are providing support to, you know, older, older parents or other folks outside their home. And it typically would be a, a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would highlight that, you know, as life expectancy has been going up, we talked about sort of we're getting on our life goal path later and later um, in terms of those first, the firsts. Um, we're also having a whole lot more time sort of at the end of life. Um, so uh, a man turning 65 in 2019 um, can expect to live on average 19 more years. Mm-hmm. And a woman, um, again, turning 65 in 2019, can expect on average to live another 21 and a half years. And if you think of like, you know, baby boom with their older parents back in the 50s and 60s, it was 13 years for men age 65 and 15 or 16 years for women. So there's been a big increase in how long, um, you know, folks will be uh, managing their own retirement, but also possibly needing help from the generation behind them compared to before. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people forgot, forget about with that fact that you just gave is that when when somebody is at age 65, their life expectancy isn't the, isn't like what the published life expectancy is, right? So if somebody Googles life expectancy in the U.S., um, they're, they're going to find that the life expectancy from that perspective is taking into consideration infants and, um, you know, just overall global life expectancy. So uh, I think the, I think I saw it was like 78 or 79 or something like that average, right? But when you make it to age 65, you actually have a longer life expectancy. So that 21 and a half years that you were talking about for women is because they have made it that far. And if they're healthy, it's an even longer life expectancy. So when you look at somebody who's in their mid to late 40s or early 50s and they're thinking about their parents in their, you know, maybe early 70s, they're they're looking at retiring or trying to retire and then taking care 
of parents during that period of time uh, in those early years of retirement, probably, or even into mid-retirement. So what are some of the things that you would say are resources for caring financially for those folks? Well, I think this, um, it's just definitely an area where ICI's members have done a lot of work because they're so closely linked to those savers who are getting older. And there are a lot of resources online for people who have older loved ones and who want to become informed about how they might be vulnerable. Um, some resources that we can recommend, they're not our own, but the National Council on Aging has a lot of resources, it's, which is ncoa.org. Uh, FINRA, which oversees broker-dealers, has information that's specific to senior investors on financial exploitation. Um, the Senate Special Committee on Aging has a ton of stuff on their website about financial fraud. And it's sort of a clearinghouse clearing for good resources. Um, and then there's another website called serveourseniors.org, which is by the North American Securities Administrators Association. Um, and they have a special section on their website for caregivers, especially. Um, and there's information by state for caregivers and all sorts of things. It's less financial focused, but they do have some financial um, considerations on there as well. So there's there's resources out there for people who are who are being sandwiched and who want to care care for their older loved ones. And a piece of it too, I think is that it's a, it, there's a, there's some great resources out there, but sometimes there's so little time um, left for somebody to sit down and dig through some of that. Are there organizations that people can go talk to Um that because maybe they can't afford, you know, a financial planner or they just they don't understand some of the options that are available to them or they can't financially afford some of the suggestions that are in there. What what organizations would you say would be a good place to start collecting information? Well, you could definitely check out the ICIF, the foundation's website for investor focused information. Um, I know the AARP too, mm-hmm. which is so senior focused, obviously. Um, if you don't have a lot of time and you just want to, you know, get, get quick answers, that would be a great place to go. Um, you brought up a good point about AARP as a great resource. Um, <laughs> when you become a member of AARP, it's, it's kind of a fun little joke, right? At the same time, it's like, oh my gosh, I actually am a member. And they're now starting to put out some information of specifically targeting that X generation. And I think that was the moment that I'm like, I saw that. I saw an article that they published and I was like, oh, we're apparently aging. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, they're crossing over into that fifty plus, and you get That's your, right. you know, the AARP uh, <laughs> knows the minute you turn fifty and sends you that membership card. Um, if you're in a four hundred one k plan at work, you'll probably get an email that says, "Guess what? You're now eligible for catch up contribution." So. <laughs> Uh, a whole lot of uh, yeah milestones happening at fifty. <laughs> 
It's, it, it made me, when my husband turned 50, he's older than I am, he turned 50, and I'm like, I'm getting him a membership for his birthday. I, it was a fun thing. Like, I'll say, actually, I wanted that, to be honest with you, too. I wanted that article. I wanted the um, magazine. So I signed him up, and, you know, it's not such a fun, funny joke when it's your partner. When it comes in your name. <laughs> <laughs> Not as funny <laughs> when I started getting information from them. Um, so when we talk about these competing goals, again, I just want to kind of circle back around to that. This is one of the things that I just feel that um, a lot of people feel very stressed about. They do feel it's in the middle. And um, there's often job changes still going on in that age range, too. And so, you know, they're, even if their kids are um, starting to venture off on their own, as you showed with the millennial generation, they're not they're not fully leaving the nest completely in a lot of cases as early. How have you seen that impact that generation and some of the struggles that exist and what can we do about it? Well, I think um, every generation, uh, you know, is at the point in the life cycle where there's always competing goals. Uh, it's really just a, a question of sort of prioritizing and, and saying to yourself, well, this is the one I'm going to do now and, and do that to, you know, don't let the stress distract you. Uh, and just start with, you know, simple steps of, well, let's take a look at the whole balance sheet of our household. And, you know, with retirement saving, be sure to get that employer match because that is money that's literally left on the table. And after you've done that, you can then start looking at, well, am I saving for a home? And what would be the best way for me to do that? Am I saving for education or am I, am I having to, to pay for education? What's the best way for me to do that? And and look at, you know, credit card debt. Try to keep that down because that's got the highest rate of interest. And so uh, it's really a matter of sitting down and taking a comprehensive look at all sides of the balance sheet and just prioritize uh, for where you are in the life cycle because, you you know, you it's a good goal to get a house and to have that home. It'll give you housing and shelter while you're working. It will provide you housing and shelter when you're retired. Um, education so important to get uh, something beyond high school. So do you either have a, you know, a specific training or certification or a, a college degree of some sort so that you can, you know, get on a good career path, which again will help you with mm -hmm. getting that house and, saving for retirement. Uh, I think uh, don't let the stress distract you uh, and make a sort of prioritize and, and take it as you can in, in the order that makes sense to, to tackle each of, the pro uh, each of the projects. And I think too, for those um, Gen Xers who are reaching that 50 milestone and who are able to start focusing more on retirement as their primary sort of primary savings goal, Use it, um, taking advantage of that catch-up contribution if they can. Mm -hmm. When you're 50 and you still have, you know, decades potentially until you retire, at doing that catch-up contribution, even if you aren't able to do the whole thing, can really make a big difference over time because you, still have, a you still have a lot of time before retirement and you can really, you know, catch up, like it says, mm -hmm. if you need to, um, get yourself back on track. Um, and really, ultimately, I think just to keep it, not to beat yourself up about where you might be, but um, 
just remember that it's never too late to start. Maybe you're focusing on your parents, you're focusing on your kids, but when it comes time to focus on your retirement, um, don't, you know, have regrets, just start doing what you can do and, and max out what you can max out. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a reason why they implemented the catch-up contribution, right? I mean, it was supposed to help people that are getting closer and closer to retirement. The idea, I think, was more age 65 or 70, and they'd have a good 15 to 20 years to save more. I think more and more people are thinking about working longer as well. I have two two other questions that I want to run by you, ladies, because I think um, um, one is, maybe it's more philosophical in nature, but a lot of people that I'm meeting with that are in their mid forties. And, and I, and I actually experienced this too, is somewhere between 43, 44, 45, there's this moment of awakening that I, that I think the question comes to the table, is this what I want to do until I retire? And that I call it the happiness factor, right? Are you, are you enjoying the career that you're in? Are you not enjoying the career you're in? And it seems to me, and maybe it's just the group of people I'm working with, and maybe I noticed it because I went through it, but it seems to me that average, that mid-40s, seems to be a real pivoting point for a lot of this generation. And and perhaps it has been for other generations. Um, Have you noticed that in any of your research or has that caused any impact, do you think, on some of the overall goals that people are trying to achieve, especially savings goals? So I think um, when we look at uh, the U.S. uh, workforce, we've always been a very mobile workforce. So we we change jobs and um, people do reinvent themselves mid-career because you have time to you know do something for a significant amount of time if you make that switch in your 40s. So I think that we've always been a, a mobile workforce. I think we talk more about uh, sort of dividing it into a first career and a second career, or um, some people have third careers. <laughs> um, and this is where actually the design of, of the 401k plan or the defined contribution plan is really great for a mobile workforce. So if you think about um, the defined benefit plan of the past, to get a benefit from it, you had to be there for many years and to get the best benefit, you really had to retire from Mm -hmm. that job. And so it was designed for people who would stay, you know, 35 years and retire from that position. And that never really described most of our workforce. And with the defined contribution plan, like the 401k plan, I can switch myself up as many times as I want, basically, because those first contributions I stick in at my first job are mine um, mm-hmm. to the end of you know, my career and into retirement. And I can, uh, you know, depending on how long I'm at a place, uh, I will have the employer contributions uh, that will, I need to vest in, but it's relatively, it's usually, I think, three-year vesting period, so you get those relatively quickly. And, you know, I can leave my balance behind. If it's a big enough balance, I can always roll it over to an IRA so I can keep track of everything as I do mm-hmm. through my mm-hmm. career. Um, but I can, you know, switch jobs, switch professions, switch it all out um, because I, what I stuck in is mine and the account stays with me. That portability is extremely important. Right. That, mm-hmm. When you're thinking about, yeah. And over the course of my 
career so far, I think I've probably had seven or eight jobs, you know, I mean, it's a 26 year career. So, um, you know, it's, a I would consider it fairly diverse in nature, but still that's, it, that's a lot of places to work. Um, when you think of, when you think of if if you had to work at one, <laughs> you know, I I wouldn't have survived. <laughs> I just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. A key with that portability, though, is, uh, you know, uh, when a young person changes jobs early on in their career, they look at the account balance and they think, oh, it doesn't look that big, um, but it's going to grow to be something big. So we uh, try to get the message out that it's as you're, um, moving through these various accounts and, um, you know, when you're young, it doesn't look very big, but it compounds to be something very powerful. And so don't cash it out, uh, mm-hmm. it. uh whether you leave it in the plan or move it to an IRA, uh, it's really important to try to keep it earmarked and saved for retirement. Yeah, I that needs to be broadcasted from every exit interview that ever takes place. <laughs> the, the second question that I wanted to ask you real quick was about IRAs um, in the, in the fact that under the secure act that was recently passed, that the beneficiaries in most cases, and I know there's some exceptions is going to have to take the, the, um, retirement plan over a 10 year window versus over their life expectancy. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe our gen, like the Gen X generation now in some of the conversations that I'm having with them, you know, normally, um, we always look at their tax situation and, and, and look at where their, I call it buckets are going to be of money, right? Where do we pull from when they're in retirement? How do we keep their tax bracket low during that period of time? But it, it seems we don't know what tax rates are going to do. So that's an unknown as well. But it seems like maybe um, the, the X generation may actually be hit fairly hard by this because if their parents, the baby boomers, are leaving any kind of wealth, they could have significant income thrown at them over a short, much shorter period of time. So making sure that they have a bucket of their own set aside that's not taxable, that they don't have to take RMDs on, that wouldn't require them to be in a higher tax bracket retirement would be pretty important. Have you guys talked much about the impact of that particular section of the SECURE Act? Yeah, so we don't have a good idea of it that's inherited IRAs. Um, we we see in our surveys that they exist because we'll see younger households saying that they're taking required minimum distributions. Ah, <laughs> so um, they must have inherited something. Uh, so we don't have an uh, idea of, of the extent of that. But what you raise in terms of, uh, I talked earlier about Roth, um, that younger households like Roth because they're in lower tax brackets. Now, another reason people like Roth is for the reason you said is that it gives me, you might think of the Roth account as your, what an economist would call your lumpy expenditure account um, that, you know, you would have a traditional IRA or the traditional 401k to give you sort of a steady stream of income. And then you would have the Roth bucket for those emergency things that, you know, 
in retirement happen too. I need to fix the roof. So I need to take a bigger amount of money out perhaps. And if I have a Roth, I could take that bigger amount of money out without it impacting my tax situation. So I think that it's definitely part of sort of the overall tax planning discussion of or thought process of, you know, what are my tax rates now? What might my tax rates be in the future? And could the Roth be you know, sort of for those lumpy expenditures that come along as opposed Mm -hmm. to sort of the regular expenditures that come along. And I would highlight from the SECURE Act two other things that happened, though. Um, So if I'm uh, 70 or older, I can now contribute to a traditional Mm -hmm. IRA. So they took Mm -hmm. that uh, restriction off. So as we're thinking of people working longer, being active longer, uh, this is an opportunity for uh, someone who is older to still make contributions into an IRA. And then also um, the required minimum distribution age got moved from 70 and a half to 72. Mm-hmm. You haven't already started RMDs. And so that, again, recognizes, you know, we're living longer, we're working longer and, uh, you know, to allow people to hold that money a bit longer before they have to start taking it out. And we could probably do a whole other show on the Secure Act if we really wanted to. <laughs> there are so many nuggets. I keep digging deeper and deeper into the into this particular act that was passed. And some some good, bad, and what I call the weird as well that were <laughs> thrown into that. <laughs> really was a mix up. Sarah and Tina, I want to just once again thank you for spending another fifty minutes with us and sharing all of this detail validating some of the things that I've been feeling, observing, um, reading about that, um, you know, this, this X generation is, um, is very much um, in the middle of a lot of things, does have a lot of competing goals. And like you said, you know, it is nice for people to know where they sort of fit in the scheme of things. So the three slides that you were so nice to prepare and, and send to me, um, will be available in the show notes for people to look look through. We'll definitely have a link to your website for people to go out and explore some of those tools that you mentioned. And um, thank you for all the work that you're doing in the industry. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of information that's available on your website, both the ICI website and the ICI yeah, right. Yes, I C I E F. Yeah, both of those are extraordinary websites for people to go out and get great information about. So, for those of you that want more information and understand the great work that ICI is doing for our profession, for um, individuals in in and of itself with the research, and I think. If I remember correctly, you guys are also supporting the America Saves Week, and there's a connection. Is it with the Junior Achievement? Is that correct? Yes, we do have a partnership with Junior Achievement, the foundation. So for those that are involved in Junior Achievement, which I know a lot of people that are, um, ICF or ICI does provide, uh, does take, uh, does have a membership with that organization. And, you know, that's really when we talk about getting education in the school systems at a very young age, we were not taught finances or we are, they are ingrained in us. We, it's not like we breathe, you know, it's, it's not something that we are born with. We have to be taught this information and junior achievement does a fabulous job of getting some of this information in there. So 
if anybody's looking to volunteer, then junior treatment is a great way to do that and specifically utilizing some of their research to make sure that younger individuals are also getting educated around finances. It yeah. starts at a young age and that's a whole other soapbox that I could We um, so. <laughs> went them through their finance park program, mm-hmm. which is for middle school students. And it's a really great program. Just like you said, it, it just sort of in- introduces the concepts, gets them familiar with budgeting and saving and investing. And they're always looking for volunteers. They run on volunteers and they're really around the whole country. So yeah. Any of your listeners anywhere might be able to um, get involved. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun to do it too. The the kids they're given a iPad with sort of a, a life path. They're sort of assigned, you know, here's your job, and you know, various life events happen to them, and they have to make decisions on <laughs> buying different things and saving. And they really have it's really fun and interactive, but they really learn some good life lessons. And so much needs to be done in terms of financial literacy. This is a, a great step. So much needs to be done. <laughs> if if I was if I won, you know, ten million dollars, that would be what I would do. I would run around the country and teach financial literacy. It would be my passion. <laughs> well, thank you so much, ladies. Again, I am so thankful uh, for what you're doing. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge and with wisdom. And for those of you that didn't listen to the prior episode that I reported with Sarah Holden and Tina Kilroy, please hop on over to our prior podcast. We'll have a link to it in the show notes so you can hear about their favorite wine as well. And we talked about that in the podcast. And I, I hope that you all find their information helpful and will share some of the things that they have put out there through their Facebook page on Twitter and um, wherever else you are on social media, because the more we get information out there, the more people learn. So thank you again. Well, Amy, thanks so much for having us. And uh, we'll think about maybe champagne and the secure act. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks for having us. Amy. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.